Welcome, you're listening to a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted ministry partner for planned giving. And here's your host, Kurt Knoll, Director of Member Relations. This podcast comes to you from our March 2020 Proven Strategies for Planned Giving event. In session three, Heather Day discusses why donor stories are so powerful in encouraging other supporters and how your organization can benefit in sharing them with your supporters. Here I worried about the timer all this time, how that was going to stress me out now and I don't even have to deal with it. <laughs> um, I have to just say before I get started how I come, I didn't plan on talking about this, but I just come away so encouraged every time that I'm at a member event because I'm just reminded of what incredible people you are. And even as I'm hearing Sarah talk about the funerals um, attending, just how you love your supporters and it's inspiring and you're doing incredible work. And it's just, it's just, just such a joy and honor to, to work with you. And um, I'm gonna stop talking about that before I get emotional because uh, today I wanna talk about one of my all time favorite topics to talk about. Uh, several of you have heard me talk about this before we're going to take a little bit different take but that uh, today we're going to talk about donor stories and why and how to tell them so if you've heard me talk about this before we've i've often focused on some of the philosophical reasons of why to share stories and there's a number of them um, but i'll share i'll just give a quick recap on the top three the top uh this uh, again this uh we call him our plan giving celebrity uh, russell james talks about this whole idea of social norming and that's this idea that you know we outgrow, uh, we think we outgrow junior high, but we never quite outgrow those insecurities of wanting to, what's normal, what's the right way to behave, what can I do that's socially acceptable? And um, since planned gifts are rarely come up in everyday conversation, many of your supporters have no idea of what's the normal, socially acceptable way to, to, way to give. So uh, donor stories offer you this opportunity to, to show your donors this is what smart and generous people like you are doing. A second important uh, reason, particularly in planned giving, to share stories is that it helps you demystify complex topics. So many of the, uh, many of the different types of planned gifts, um, some of them are a little bit more simpler than others, but in particular, when you start talking about life income gifts, it can be a little complicated to explain on paper. But when you have a story, it gives you a very practical way to show this is how it really works. And it all of a sudden takes this very complex story and shows how, well, if this woman can do it, and this is how she did it, I can certainly do that too. You know, Cindy shared the story of, of the pastor that gave. Um, we've shared his story as a donor testimonial, and all of a sudden it makes this type of giving more accessible to a wider group of people. Third, donor stories allow you to connect um, giving to impact. So your donor is always uh, wondering, why, the, what difference does it make when I give to your organization? And your stories uh, are an effective way to show that. So these are all, and I, then I always, here's my trump card that I always use. I didn't put that on here, but, you know, if the greatest, uh, if Jesus told stories, then we should too. <laughs> you know, we always talk about, like, all I have to do is talk about the Good Samaritan or uh, the vineyard, and you know exactly what point he was trying to make. He used stories to move people to action because it's an effective way to do it. So we talked about these philosophical reasons quite a bit in the past, but I wanted to offer you a more practical um, reason of why to, to tell stories, and that's that it boosts the effectiveness of your marketing messaging. Pantera, uh, which is another plan giving organization, did this really interesting study where they measured uh, the click-through rates, which is one of, our, one of your leading indicators. Uh, they measured the click-through rates on their plan giving newsletters. 
and they wanted to take a look at what kind of content was receiving the most clicks. And the first time that they did the study, they were just looking at the placement of the stories. And what they found was really not all that surprising. They found that the articles at the top of the newsletter were receiving more clicks than what are at the bottom. It's pretty uh, not too surprising. It matches up with Google searches, the top clicks get the most clicks. The front page on the newspaper gets the read the most. If you're not thinking about your newsletter in that way, you should. Uh, but you look at the click-through rates at the top are 22.8%, going all the way down to 7.5%. So this was their first phase of study. But then they took it a step further and said, okay, what does that do to click-through rates if I add a donor story at each of those places? And they found some really fascinating things. And that's that if they put donor stories in that top position, all of a sudden it boosted that rate even higher. So that rate went up to 42.4%, which is 86% over the average click-through rate. What was even more interesting is what happened when they put donor stories and they buried them at the very bottom of the newsletter. And that boosted that rate from 7.5% uh, 7 to 26.6%, 163% over the average. So they, their key takeaway from their study was this. Donor stories function much like a magnet that overcomes the hierarchy of links. They pull the reader's attention to wherever they are located, regardless of the hierarchy. So this has certainly been in line with our experience. We've seen this at play in a number of different ways. We've seen it over and over again. But one of the most recent and um, obvious was uh, we, have a, uh, we have a church communications director, a shout out to uh, Phil Leo, who fills that role. And um, he's been doing a lot of things to try to make inroads with people in the pew and try to make sure they're more aware of the services that Barnabas offers. So as part of those efforts, for the last two years, he's been posting to a denominational um, blog. And most of the articles that he's posted to this point have been uh, more newsy or reflective in nature. But in January, he said to me, I think I'm going to put a testimonial on there. And I said, I think that's a good idea. So he took what was one of our oldest testimonies. And what's, what's even more interesting is I didn't know which one he'd picked. And the one, the one he picked, we have a terrible photo with it. It's not a great photo. It does, it's not very engaging at all. But the moment that he posted that on there, it became one of our highest ra uh, read stories that we'd ever posted on the network. Um, if you're curious what our top story was, it was, uh, it was an article, a great headline with a controversy, should pastors know how much church members give. But controversial headlines is another topic for another day. But the stories, the, the overall point is that he saw firsthand what we had known all along and that's that stories engage people. People want to read them, and they want to engage them. So he's been more intentional about posting um, stories ever since then. So here, we've talked about why. So let's talk about, for just a moment, what makes a good story. So let's just take a little time warp back to seventh grade literature and, and just remind ourselves what makes a good story. And I'll use To Kill a Mockingbird, my, one of my all-time favorite stories, as an example. So a good story has, uh, at first and foremost, it has great characters, including a, a protagonist who you want to root for, who you care about. Can you imagine To Kill a Mockingbird without Scout, without Jim, without Atticus, and without these compelling characters? It also involves um, having a, a setting, the time and the place where the story is located. Um, this story would, would have been completely different if it had not been set in the South, in the Jim Crow Depression era. That really had a big impact on the story. Also, a, a great story involves some level of conflict, both the internal and external conflict. What is this character struggling with? What are the, the forces of nature that are against them? What are they trying to overcome? This makes for a great story. And finally, the resolution. How do they overcome that obstacle? How do they get past that? What is the moral? What is the story that I should take from this? So of course, we know, we know these things. We've learned these things back way back in school. 
But, um, but sometimes we get so focused on our, on our objectives as fundraisers or as um, marketers that we forget that and we start just trying to, to get our objectives done and forget that I have to tell a really good story first. Now I know what you're thinking, some of you are thinking, how in the world am I getting to do that? <laughs> we, have, we have spent a lot of time and resources in the past telling you, uh, walking you through the writing process and the editing process, and we've talked about how you do uh, a really great interview, how you write that, and how you edit that. But I recognize that a lot of you sitting in this room are thinking there is no way that I'm going to do that. I, either I don't have that ability, I really am glad that seventh grade literature class is over, I'm not a writer, or, or even if I am a writer, I can't possibly do that with the time that's available. So I wanna focus today on a different model that I've seen work at a lot of organizations, including the organizations that I've been part of, and it's this whole idea of collaborative storytelling. Collaborative storytelling takes those people who know the donors, who know their stories, who are at their funerals, who are working with their families, who are visiting them in their homes, knows those donors intimately, and pairs them with the creatives who have the ability to tell their stories. So in other words, it puts the fundraisers who are on the front lines with donor relationships and who understand the fundraising objectives with the storytellers who are creatives, who are creatives that have the, the, the talent to tell those stories in a way that supports those fundraising objectives. So you might ask, so if you're on the fundraising, you might say, yeah, but who are those storytellers? Well, there's actually, if you look around, um, you've probably got a number of different options when it comes to storytellers. Um, so the first and perhaps the most obvious solution is marketing or communications professionals, if you have access to that at your organization. It is an art form. Um, I want to give a shout out to the writers. It is an art form, and um, there are different skills that are available. So there's probably people in your organization who have been trained on best practices. Um, but if you don't have that, another possible source is just finding those people with natural storytelling ability. So early on, I was writing a lot of our donors' uh, testimonials, but then we brought Phil on, on staff, who's, who was a pastor for 23 years. And if you'd asked him, if we'd asked him in the interview, are you a writer, he would not have raised his hand for that. But what we found is that in his years of ministry, he had a way of connecting people at the heart level and understanding what makes them tick and translating that into words. So there might be people around you, whether it's on staff or volunteers, that just are really good at telling these stories. Take advantage of that and work with them. Another option is to consider freelance writers. Um, and sometimes people are hesitant on this because they think they don't know us. But they don't need to know you because you know you and you know your donors and you know what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're working with a talented freelance writer and you're working very closely with them, they, that's a really great solution if you don't have somebody on staff. And then finally, you. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to that in a few minutes because there's alternate ways that you can tell those stories in a way that won't involve as much time or writing or whatever might get in the way. So we'll come back to that. But first, let's assume that you've chosen one of the top three solutions. I wanna talk a little bit about what that collaborative storytelling process looks like. So first of all, the, thing, the first thing that you need to understand is that it's non-linear, it's messy. I wish that I could give you this is step one, this is step two, this is step three, but every single time that I've told a donor story, it looks a little bit different than the last. It's a very, uh, very messy process and I just need to understand that going in. And kind of going on, on along with that, 
there's no clear handoff. So it's not going to be the fundraiser has done their job. Now I hand it to the, to the storyteller. Go. It's like a relay race. I keep moving on. It's not like that. There's going to be interaction throughout. And because of that, there needs to be a high level of trust and communication between the, both the fundraiser and the storyteller. Keep talking. Keep communicating. Keep trusting each other to, to do your roles to the fullest. And part of that involves having clearly defined roles and responsibilities. So let's talk about that for a few minutes of what those responsibilities look like. Um, the fundraiser, on, on, their, uh, on their side, the very first thing, number one, if there was step number one, what always needs to be is to clarify the purpose and the audience. Your storyteller needs to know exactly what you're trying to accomplish and exactly who it is that you're talking to. So if you're working with a freelance writer, for example, they may have their peers, uh, millennials or whatever, they may have them in mind, but they need to understand who your audience is and who you're trying to communicate with. The second thing that, uh, that your responsibility as a fundraiser is to identify those potential characters. Again, we're looking for somebody who is compelling and who has a great story. So you, your responsibility is to help identify who those potential characters are. You're also going to be the person who seeks the initial permission for the story to be told. But I do want to make a, a big word of caution here about making promises early on. Sometimes I don't even ask the permission until we're ready to tell the story. Because as a writer, I can't tell you how many times I've been backed into a corner um, by, by a fundraiser who says, we're going to put you on the front page of our university magazine. And I meet them, and it's a total dud of a story. <laughs> or I can't get a photo from them. So please be careful about making promises about how long the story will be, about where it will be featured, and even the timeline on how much of, of when it will take place. We, I just completed, I just wrote an article of one of our donors that we don't even plan on sharing till the end of the year because I talked about giving stock gifts. We're holding on to that for when we're really focusing on that. So be careful about making promises. The fundraiser is also going to offer background details to the writer. Your, uh, your writer, your storyteller should not go into an interview blind. Um, uh, the, really, the best interviews happen from a place of knowledge where they know a little, uh, they know what you know about that donor. Um, you're also going to provide contact details and make the initial introduction. So um, you care about that relationship, and so you don't want uh, you don't want your supporter to feel like they're getting a cold call from from somebody they don't know. It's really important and most beneficial if you make the introduction. So we work closely with Cindy, for example, a lot of times when we write our donor testimonials because she's having those conversations. So she sets this up beautifully. She has the conversation with a donor and says, uh, you know, I, I, somebody from our creative team, would, you, have a, you have a great, uh, we love what you've done. We love, uh, would you mind uh, if one of, somebody from our marketing team talks with you? And then that sets us up for success. Once the article is written, your responsibility also is to review for accuracy, purpose, audience, and potential landmines. So you know more than anyone what your supporters' hot button issues are, and maybe we've misspelled their names at the very basic level, but it also could be that we've, we've just said something, you're like, oh, that is not, and they may have said that, but they didn't mean that. Um, so so be, just be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, to thank the supporter. On the storyteller responsibilities, uh, their responsibilities start with understanding the purpose and audience. Make sure that they're clear on it, that there's no vagues there, or vagueness there, and that they're following up with as a fundraiser to understand that. Um, I'm going to pause for just a second. I see some of you furiously writing, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier. All of our PowerPoints will be available after the, after the event, so I hope that frees you up a little bit. We will, uh, we will send those out. <laughs> um, back to our regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> um, 
We're also, uh, the, the writer is going to be the person, you may have done the initial uh, introduction, but that person is going to handle the logistics, like scheduling and conducting the interview. It only gets in the way. If, if you're having to go back and forth as a fundraiser and figure out, well, this is when they're available, that, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Um, this one's a big one. It is the storyteller's responsibility to find the story, to determine the, team, uh, the theme, the tone, and the critical de details. So because you have this long history with the supporter, you have probably have lots of anecdotes about them. You probably know really fascinating things about them. You may have an idea in your mind about where the story is going to go. But if you trust the storyteller, and if you're working with a great storyteller, there's going to be a lot of things that get cut that maybe are great, fascinating information, but are a distraction from the overall story. So trust if you're working with a great storyteller for them to find that. Um, the storyteller. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Honor the supporter's intentions. Um, as, a, as a story writer or a storyteller, you're not just telling a great story. You want to do it in a way that honors them. So sometimes people, uh, I'll give you a very practical example. A lot of times when I, I record my interviews to make it easier, so a lot of times um, somebody's talking out loud and they're just kind of meandering or there's a lot of us and that sort of thing. Um, I, will, I will edit uh, edit quotes to make sure that they are presented in the best light possible. Also, if they, if they told me something in confidence on the side, even if it's recorded and even if they said it to me and I don't think that they really want that as public knowledge, I want to make sure that I honor that and that the stories are supporting the relationship and not taking away from it. Uh, the, the storyteller is going to edit for accuracy, clarity, length, flow, purpose, and audience. Um, they're also going to be the one that, um, this is good for you to, to inform them right up front, you're going to be asking them, even if they're working with a creative team, to be responsible for collecting photos or any other assets that need to be used in the story. They'll also be the ones that secure the final publishing um, permission. Uh, are you good with this story? Can we run with this? And getting the sign-off form, which we can talk about later. Um, and then finally, they're also thanking the supporter. Um, both of you are thanking the supporter because this is an incredible investment of their time. So it's important that both the, uh, in finding that good character, it's important that both the fundraiser and the, um, and the storyteller understand what makes a good character. So these, <laughs> this is one of our donor testimonies. I loved this photo. Um, but what's good to know is that it's not always the person who uh, gave the biggest gift. It may be, but it, may, it often is not. More importantly is that they're loyal supporters, that they're raving fans of your organization, and that they are going to speak in a positive light. They also should be relatable to the intended audience. So that doesn't mean they have to be exactly like everybody that will read the story. There's no way you could check all those boxes, but they should be relatable. Um, but to make a good, interesting character, they should ha have a unique background. Um, they should have personal obstacles or life circumstances that make them a compelling story. And if you're, talk, if you're trying to illustrate a specific giving option, obviously it's good to find somebody who is given in that way. So I mentioned a few minutes earlier, uh, we were looking to talk about giving appreciated assets. So of course I looked for someone who had actually given appreciated assets. Makes sense. Um, it's helpful, I find, to think of characters as lamp post characters. And what I mean by that is this. Your organization or your gift is not the story, or the gift they gave is not the story. The donor is always the hero of the story. They're always the hero of the story, not you or what you're doing or even the gift they give. But it's helpful that, to think of them as lamppost characters that can, get, that can shine a light on what you want people to know. And if you tell a really good story, a lamppost character will illuminate the impact of your ministry and the power of generosity. 
So when you're trying to determine who the characters should be in your story, try to figure out where am I trying to shine the light and find stories that will help you, uh, help you shine the light in those locations. On a very practical side, one of the things that you'll need to do in a collaborative writing process is to develop a story bank. And this is just a running list of potential stories. And this can be as simple or sophisticated as you want it to be. We just have, a, we have project management software that we list them all on there, but it could be an Excel document, it could be a Word document, it could be anything where you're keeping track of those running stories, including um, who the people are, what they've given, what, who's the contact person that knows them best, any other critical details. Make sure that you're saving, um, saving that in a common location that both the fundraiser and the story can tell or can access at a regular point. It's important, it's a good idea to record these ideas as fresh uh, while the ideas are fresh. So if you come back from a donor visit and you're really charged up about this is an incredible story, um, write that down because chances are if the storyteller or the marketing department comes to you five months later and asks you, do you know anybody who gave stock? You're going to be racking your brain um, versus going back to all the notes that you've made. Um, but again, did, did I mention that whole thing about making promises? Um, make sure that uh, just because somebody is on the list doesn't mean uh, it's, these are just running list of ideas. So as I mentioned earlier, sometimes I won't even mention to the supporter um, at that point that we have them on our list. When and if we need their story, then we'll go back to them and say, hey, we were, I was thinking about our conversation several months ago. Would you be willing for somebody on the marketing team to talk with you? So these are, these are some of the details of that collaborative writing process, um, but I want to come back to talking about this whole idea of alternate storytelling formats. Because I know that uh, several of you are wearing many hats, and you may be a one-person shop, and you say, can say, all this is great, but I just don't have the resources available to work with a storyteller. So there's several different ways that you can tell a story in, in ways that are, are just as effective. You don't have to spend a whole lot of time building this well-crafted article for, in order to be effective. Another way that you consider is just using quotes. And I saw, um, I, I've seen a couple of our members do this on their website where they just have a really great quote along with a photo. And this can be very, very compelling. This is a great way to do that social norming that doesn't take a lot of writing time, doesn't take a lot of creativity and that you can easily pull off. You can also consider using first-hand accounts. So maybe the supporter writes up their own story and they just said, this is, this is what my experience has been, this is how I gave. Um, and then just with some light editing, all of a sudden you've got an article that you can use. Another uh, thing that you might consider is informal videos. These can be used on your website or in social media. Shoot them on your cell phone, like just set up a camera and you're, you're interviewing the donor and this is a great way to tell a story. Um, and there's not, usually, and the, the expectations are changing. It doesn't have to be real uh, polished in order for it to be effective. An informal video actually might be your most effective way to do it. Um, you can also consider using your supporters as guest speakers, perhaps at a Legacy Society event or at a donor event where they share their own story. And this is a great way, again, to accomplish that social norming. And finally, anecdotes. So if, um, even if you have nothing in writing, as a, as a fundraiser, when you're out there meeting with, uh, with your supporters and talking to them about giving this way, have, have that list of stories of your, just your go-to stories that you can keep coming back to and share. This is how other people who are smart and generous gave, and this is how you can give in similar ways. So that is uh, collaborative storytelling. Um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time today talking about the writing process, but I do want to let you know that we have several resources available on our website. 
including a video by Dr. Uh, Russell James that unpacks this idea of social norming. We have a couple videos on that process. Um, we have some interview tips and techniques on, on in the member center, as well as uh, we have a customizable um, testimonial release form if you're looking for how to officially get that documented um, to make sure that they're cool with you sharing their stories. So with that, any questions? A little bit of time, so somebody has to have a question. <laughs> Which is on our website. We do really. We've released a lot of our old webinars and training sessions on podcasts. Yes, including the one because I just recorded the cover for Stories of Compelled Generosity that's coming out soon. Correct? Yeah, we know that um, many of you are on the road routinely, so if you haven't already, in all the regular places where you'd find podcasts on Apple. Google Podcasts, all, all those main ones. If you search for Barnabas Foundation members, we have a podcast. And we take all of our all of our Facebook Lives, all of our old webinars. We're releasing around there. Eventually, these sessions will be released as podcasts. So it's just a way for you to get some professional development when you're on the road. Great. Yes. So I'm wondering how to handle, if there's a great donor story, but maybe one of their transformative moments was dealing with one of these other or great organizations, you know, that, that uh, you know, they grew up in Holland and had a great experience with their Holland Christian schools or had a great, uh, you know, communication. Well, you know, some, something that's not centric to your organization. It's, it's benefited your organization greatly, but wasn't theirs. Is, is that a story to embrace? Yeah, so, um, so there's a couple things to say there. Uh, one, um, I, um, we, always, we always talk about how we, we are all in this together. So, so there is that to consider, that we're not in, co in competition with one another. So we include elements of their stories all the time, of things that are not directly related to Barnabas Foundation, but it's core to their story. So we just told the story of, of someone who, um, uh, they were giving memorial gifts uh, for their children. They were talking about a giving type that had nothing to do with the services that we offer and giving to a hospital. But that was core to their story, so we made sure to include that. So I'd say if it's core to telling who they are and it makes sense to include it, then I, don't, I certainly don't think that it hurts. Um, but one of the toughest jobs that I think that a storyteller has is figuring out what hits the editing floor because there's a lot of their story. There's, because you're gonna have limited word space and you wanna have focus, there's a lot of details that can be left out. So, um, so for that reason alone, that, that may get left out because it doesn't advance your objectives. It's not because of a, com a competition, but it's just maybe an interesting side note that's not core to the story you're trying to tell. Hi, Heather. Yeah. Uh, great uh, examples there. Uh, I think the thing that organizations struggle the most with is um, just culling uh, the different opportunities and stories, and a lot of organizations don't have the bandwidth. Uh, I get that. Um, and a lot of organizations don't hold national conferences like Ligonier Ministries, which I'm a part of, but one thing that I will add that we do to kind of make it easier to collect stories is just simply by, and, and, and depending on your organization and how you're forward-facing with your, your donors, um, is we just provide a form that is, tell us your story, how this ministry has impacted your life. 
and and there's no promises made, there's no guarantees we're going to use it, but there's also that permission mm -hmm. uh, at the bottom there that we can or won't be able to use, just depends on the story and how we could use it. So that's one, maybe another easy way, just provide that, that form, whether it be online Absolutely. or in person. Absolutely. We have, uh, that's a great way to collect stories. A lot of times, too, uh, so that's a great way. Um, another thing is that uh, I, I get I get it that, like, particularly if you're on the fundraising side, a lot of times you're like back in the office for a day, repacking and back out the door. And so you've got things that that maybe slides to the back. So often, I've, uh, if I have a person that's been commissioned with telling stories, I, I put that on, on their responsibilities to keep talking. I, I have a standing meeting or have a um, like knock every time. Every time Kurt comes back from a member trip, uh, there you are. <laughs> every time Kurt comes back from a member trip, I, I, I pin him down and say, what did you learn? What have you heard recently? Um, and back when I was at Olivet, it was the same kind of thing with our fundraising officers. They'd say, have you heard any great stories lately? Have you met any interesting people lately? So maybe the fundraiser didn't think to tell me that, but because I asked that, it just so happened, oh yeah, I just met with this really fascinating person, you should tell their story. So if you've got a storyteller that you're return, routinely turning to, encourage them to keep, um, keep asking because it's just probably not on the forefront of fundraisers' minds. Yeah. Heather, give us your expertise on the difference between um, writing a story and using a story in video with social media today, and then how long is the video, uh, ideally? Great question. Um, and Kim, who likes to be behind the camera, I'm going to ask, <laughs> she's giving me a dirty look right now, but I may ask her expertise on this too. Uh, videos, I will say that videos are shorter. Um, and it really depends on the medium. So if you're posting it on social media, those should really should be um, really short, it, you know, like a minute um, uh, that you may drive them to go to your website to learn more. But even uh, if, you're, if you're showing, a, 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 we were just talking about this recently, if you're telling a story at an event where you have a captive audience, you might have a little bit more of a leeway to tell a five, six minute video. But otherwise, on your website, shorter, like two to three minutes. Um, and we were just meeting with a videographer talking about those differences between the writing. And sometimes um, in the, the writing, I'm more um, explicit with telling every detail of their story, whereas in videos, you're trying to convey the emotion. So I don't spend as much time telling all the biographical details. I just uh, looking for those, uh, those visuals and those quotes that convey the emotion of what they've given rather than giving their full backstory. Kim's giving me the thumbs up, but what she wants to do at the end of this is get up and give a 15-minute presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I just know it. Other questions? John, I'm curious. Um, uh, your conference you have gets pretty sizable attendance, and you pass out that, uh, how, did the, how, how did the story sheet you were talking about. How many responses do you get from that? Just to give the audience kind of an idea, is it is it five percent? Is it ten percent? Are you reading four hundred of these? Are you reading ten? It's not mass distribution at all. Um, it's typically we have an advancement booth, development booth at a conference, and um, we we strategically utilize that sheet. And so as we're meeting people, uh, as we're you know as we're talking, um, you can start to gather, uh, because a lot of the attendees like to share their story just by when they meet you. Yeah, Ligonier impacted my life, you know, 20 years ago when I was in a Sunday school class and I got saw the RC Sproul video. And so 
use it sparingly, but as far as a response goes, Kurt, um, I think the last time we did it two years ago, and we received uh, two dozen plus okay. um, handwritten stories, many of which we were able to follow up with, and some of which turned into um, what well, we have stories of God's grace videos that come from from that as well. It's another way to promote those those stories. Fantastic. Okay. Um, something you said just reminded me too, another thing that you could do as you're building out uh, Legacy Society, which you're gonna keep hearing, we're just gonna keep coming back to Legacy Societies, but is to make sure that you're routinely telling your Legacy Society members this is another way that they can give. So you've given, um, you give them your current gifts, you've given your legacy gifts, but another way that you can give is to use your influence. Um, so routinely asking your Legacy Society members, would you be willing to share your story as another substantial way to give to our ministry? How many of our members here today are using stories or have stories that you regularly use with your, in your development programs? Quite a few of you. Excellent. We have um, any of our stories that we have on our website, you are always willing, or you're always welcome to, to share. Um, and generally, like if they've specifically mentioned member organizations that they've given to, we try to make sure that those member organizations, we give them a heads up, hey, they just talked about you, how much they love you, and that they've given that way. Um, but, uh, but we really do encourage you to have uh, your own stories. And so unfortunately, that's not something we can do for, do for you because it really should show the impact of, of your particular ministry. Thank you for listening. This has been a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn more about the variety of resources, tools, and training available to you by logging into the Member Center at www.barnabasfoundation.com.